Hello everyone, it's Jan Bedell, the Little Giant Sips Brain Coach. Welcome back for this week's Brain Coach Tip and the second half of When Does Homeschooling Really Begin? I hope I was able to help you think differently about a number of areas that influence the early years of development in the first half. Over the last five years, I have had first-hand knowledge of the effects of early stimulation for infants and preschoolers through close interaction with my grandchildren. They have thrived with these brain-organizing and stimulating activities. Over the years, sharing this information with clients and families at conventions just like this one, I have been told of similar experiences when families incorporate the neurodevelopmental approach to life through the Little Giant Steps products and programs. My prayer is that you can see the same results through the information I share here and will share this podcast with your friends and family. God may want to work through you so another family can get the information they didn't even know they needed. Be sure to get the handout at braincoachtips.com. Look for podcast number 30 where you will find the second half of the handout from this workshop. Now, let's join the convention attendees for the second half of When Does Homeschooling Really Begin? Now, walking, the first thing that happens is primary balance. They're up like this with their arms up, and then they go to arms down. This is the correct way to walk, and you're looking for cross-pattern walking. Not having their hands, you know, all tucked into pockets or something, that means they don't know what to do with these. But if they're just walking like this, cross pattern, then um, that's organizing to the cortex, which is the thinking part of the brain. This is kind of where the, the information from one side comes to the other for recognizing somebody and remembering their name. So one side stores a picture and one side stores the word. And when the bridge works, you can come and bring that together. And really, your kids answer your questions on this bridge. So you want to make sure all of this is developed the way it should be. Our belief is the potential of the individual is determined by the opportunities presented to them. Like we said before, where the process could be slowed, if you have somebody that you hear about and you say, a retarded child was found locked in the closet. And my first question is, was the child retarded and locked in the closet, or are they now retarded because of deprivation, because they didn't get enough input? So input, input, input is what we talk about. Input before you get output. That's the important thing, especially with the young child. They don't like to be tested all the time, so inputting information. The fascinating thing that I found was that more that the ch- children before the age of three, they learn more fact for fact than the whole rest of their life. Can you even fathom that? We've got these big, thick books we went through in high school, and we're learning all this stuff, but they learn more in the first three years. They're learning spatial things. They're learning tactile things. They're, le- they're learning so much. Now, some people really think this is not too great, but I'll tell you what we did when we saw, Kenzie was in the kitchen, and she's playing with this drawer that is just coming out, and she's pulling it out, and then she's pushing it back in. And boom, right on her fingers. 
And so most people would be running over there going, no, 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 don't do that. But I want to show you what she's learning in one minute here. So she did that, and then, oh, she got one hand out of the way. And now she goes, okay, both hands down here. And then we're not quite through with the lesson. Oh, we got them up there. Youch. But she didn't cry. <laughs> but look at this. Both hands moved down, and she learned to do that. Now, I've got big, heavy doors, solid wood doors in my house, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, Samath's fingers, when they get older, we never have had a smashed finger. And I really believe it's because she learned that. I mean, she's just 13 months old learning that. And so if you can allow them to go through some of those things, then they learn them pretty quick. The eyes are critically important. As soon as I had grandchildren, of course, I started making all kinds of things <laughs> that were for them. So this is Carter helping the little baby sister Kaylee with her tummy time by just showing her faces. At first, we showed her these patterns. Great, they're great big, 17 by 11, and she would look at those, and we would use them for tracking some of the time, but she was really happy on her stomach watching those patterns, and we'd change the patterns, and then the next thing is faces. Children really respond to faces. After that, you can show, we, we made a bunch of silhouettes for like six to nine months old, so you can work on vocabulary, but again, this is working on their central vision. Now, keeping their ears clear is a top priority. We see so many issues, developmental issues, because of ear infections and that kind of thing. So, they can have tonal issues. If they have fluid, that's going to change the tone of what they hear, and it's also going to affect what comes out. So you want to watch for ear infections, middle ear fluid, congestion, respiratory issues, and excessive wax buildup all can influence the what they hear. If you have any of these issues, I'm going to encourage you to have regular tympanograms. It's just a little puff of air that goes onto the tympanic uh, membrane and lets you know whether there's fluid there or not, and it can catch things that even a visual check doesn't see. Another resource is Dr. Block at theblockcenter.com. She has a home tympanogram that you can get and ways to drain the eustachian tubes naturally. I think she has a video that does that. So you can get rid of the fluids before it gets into ear infections because antibiotics add another challenging aspect. Mm -hmm. Getting the candling for getting rid of wax. I think I think really anything that gets rid of wax is a good thing. You can use Debrox. That's a softener, and it washes out. It like uh, hydrogen peroxide is I think the main part of it, and it bubbles it and loosens it, and then you can wash it out with a bulb syringe. But I think candling is fine as well. You want to make sure that that um, information can get in through the senses, so that's why the ears are so important to have that channel open. Now, three keys to effective input I'm going to teach you are frequency, intensity, and duration. Now, I'm going to go over this in the or Organizing Einstein. It's really for everybody. It's kind of geared toward gifted, but it's just developmental. It's on Saturday at 10.30, or I have a podcast, it's number 8, that talks about this concept as well. But basically, frequency is how many times a child's exposed to the same information. 
Here, Dad is so into books. He's just got tons and tons of books. So he's showing Johnny a picture of an elephant and a giraffe and a tiger and all these animals. And he's got so many books, he doesn't get back around to showing Johnny the picture for a couple of weeks. And he's just as excited to see it the next time because he doesn't remember seeing it. But Mom has gone to one of my classes and just pretend like this is animals. You can do it with, this is called a, a unit, like it's clothing. But you just say dress and jacket and a bow tie and hiking shoes and a cap. You just do that real quick before and after breakfast, before and after lunch, about a minute. And so say this was animals. And Dad got back around to showing Johnny the picture. And he opened the book and Johnny goes, elephants. And Dad goes, there's my boy, you know, I'm teaching him about all this stuff. And it was really Mom that did the frequency that made it happen. So you can teach a lot of things in a very short amount of time and, and do it frequently, you know, twice a day. Just showing that to them for a minute will get a lot of that information in. So that's a unit study. You can do that with letters. You can just say S and T and Z. And you can do it with words. You can do it with anything that you want, and numbers, anything you want to teach. Now one thing that's really fun is an experience book. Kids like to see pictures of themselves, you know. And Kinsey, being my first grandchild, I knitted these little figures for her. These little cats and a bear and different things like that. So I wanted to kind of preserve it because I didn't figure they were going to last long. So I put them in what's called experience books. And here, this one is Rabbit's Arms, Kinsey's Arms. So I made two sets of books. One had just one or two words. And one was like this. Rabbit has two short arms. Kinsey has two soft arms. And I taught her with that fast flash. I just taught her the words to be able to read the book. So you just show it to them and put it in a different place. And then she can read the book about herself. All right. Intensity is how strong the information is. So if you're not giving good intensity and you just go, oh, this is a... This is a giraffe, and this is whatever. You know, they're not going to pay attention to that much. But if you're into it, then that really helps. Now, our whole society is pretty intense on the negative. And here's one area. You know, you're trying to potty train, and here he is. Now he's had the accident again. You wet your pants again. Why didn't you tell mommy? You know, you go on and on and on. Well, what if you turn that around? This family, Johnny went where he's supposed to go for the first time. And they exclaimed they were having a, having a fit. Then they did a swing dance and in celebration. And Johnny couldn't wait to get back on the pot to see what was going to happen next. Intensity is something that children crave. They crave it, whether it's good intensity or bad intensity. So you want to try to turn it around. Wow, we had a whole meal without spilt milk, you know. <laughs> that would be different. Now, Carter... He amazed me as, you know, everybody brags on their grandchildren, I guess. But I really think it was this where he was having to hold on to us to get up and build those muscles that made it where he could get dressed by himself very early. So he comes out and goes, ta-da, dressed by himself, you know, at three years old. And it really takes a lot to get those pants, you know, in the back and squeeze them and pull them up and all that strength and everything. So he literally could, I taught him to 
put his shirt on the bed with the front down to get it on and then to lean against the the bed or the wall or something to put his pants on and even now he will start to kind of go well you know just hand me the underwear or whatever and I say, oh no no you can do it so it takes a little extra time but look at how much time it saves not having to get the three-year-old dressed all the time <laughs> it's really very wonderful so duration is short periods of time you know that picking him up that's just one example of just it, it didn't take very long to do that giving the input very short periods of time and then over time so duration has two aspects when we do counting or inputting information ours is not to music because it puts it in the subdominant hemisphere then they have to sing the song you know if, you, if i say what letter comes after eight and you say i then that's in your dominant hemisphere but if you have to go a b c you know the rest of your singing that little song because it's all in one chunk over in your subdominant. So we do it with different voices and echoing and reverberating and things like that, but it just counts uh, one to five. And it counts one to five over and over and over. A male voice, a female voice, you know, all this stuff going on for a very short amount of time. They listen to that twice and then you listen to the next one, one to ten, one to fifteen, one to twenty, until they just know how to count. The info to know is just little short bits of important information from ABCs all the way to presidents. So that's just a couple of resources that we have. So how long do you have to do something? Until you gain the function. That's what's important with this. What I want to talk to you about shortly here is the short-term memory that children have. If you have seen a child and you think, oh wow, they really seem mature and they seem to have accelerated abilities, I believe it has a lot to do with their processing and especially auditory processing. It's a huge factor in our society that's going the wrong direction and it's key to so many things. What happens in our society, again, we're in a visual society. We're doing all this visual, visual, visual and we're not doing the auditory that we need to. So even if your child is not talking to you, talk to them. Just get in the habit of narrating everything you do. Just say, I'm opening the refrigerator. Here's the plate. I'm putting it on the table. You know, you're just talking to them all the time. Now, that's really hard. I had a child that didn't talk till she was three. And when I found this out, I just found myself talking to her, <laughs> to myself all the time. But she was there. You know, I'm opening the door now. And it really made a huge difference. So processing a one-year-old should be able to process one piece of information. You taught them to wave goodbye, and so you say, wave bye-bye, and without a visual cue, they just go like that. So that's a processing of one. When they're in the nursery, all they can really process is mom. I don't care who you are, how many toys you have, I want mom. So you want to get them past that really quick, right? And so two-year-olds should process two pieces. If you say to them, touch nose, hair. And you go like this and like this. That's what they do. Um, you don't show them. They just do that. Now, I believe that when they get stuck here, it's the terrible twos. Because I want, don't want. That's about all there is. <laughs> so you get them past that really quick and get them on to three. A three-year-old should be able to do at least three pieces. But if you work on it and get them there faster, they'll potty train faster, especially if you've done that deep pressure. Because if you've done the deep pressure, then they can feel their pain in their bladder and go, oh, oh, 
I've got to do something. So I feel something, I've got to go somewhere, and then I've got to do it. Processing of three. can save you a lot of uh, money on diapers if you just get the processing up a little bit higher. You can say on this, you can just give the example. Car, boat, train. And they say car, boat, train. So they should be able to do three pieces. Words. For a four-year-old should be able to do four. So this would be words or numbers. A five-year-old, five pieces. Now this is very strategic for those of you that are homeschooling because you need a strong five working on six for phonics. Now phonics is an auditory approach. You have to hold this piece, this piece, this piece, and the rule together to get the word back out, right? So if they can't hold the pieces, they can't read with phonics well. Don't go buy another phonics program. It's the processing that's the problem. To help you develop this, we want to educate you on this. We've got some free articles, and I have a book that I wrote, The Best Kept Secret in Education, Auditory Processing. Now, people are starting to pay attention to this now because I believe it's epidemic proportion, and now they have central auditory processing disorder <laughs> because it's gotten so bad. But you can stop that by just stimulating them early and practicing a minute or so twice a day, or with the little ones, you know, the 18-month-olds or whatever, you meet them in the hall and you say, okay, touch nose, knee, and then you wait. And if they don't do it, you just go, yes, you did it, and then you go on, you know, and just little times, you put them in the high chair, you do a little something, you put them in the bathtub, and they, they make these things swim in the order that you've told them to swim or whatever. Those little inputs can be huge in their function. So you access their auditory level. We've got a test kit at the booth. Just stop by at the top of any hour. We'll teach you how to use it and give that to you to take home to test and see where your kiddos are. The other thing you can do to develop this auditory is talk to them a lot. I, I kind of talked about that already. Read to them a lot. And then when you're not able to read to them, have them listen to audiobooks. And this isn't music, this is a story without the book, just listening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like Odyssey, or there's Your Story Hours, have great Bible stories and history stories, and there's a lot of resources that we have these days for audio. Then visual processing, I don't have that here, but you can get the free test kit at littlegiantsteps.com for the visual. If the child is a preschooler and they have trouble with visual processing, numbers, letters, and words are a challenge for them. Now, one thing I was impressed to do early is work myself out of a job. So I created early learning foundations because I don't want children to have learning challenges. So this takes them through all the developmental steps and adds math in there, starting math, number recognition, and one-to-one -one correspondence, and visual discrimination, fine motor kinds of things, so that they're ready for learning later. There's a level two that's kindergarten and a level three that's uh, first grade as well. But it's basically the neurodevelopmental program working on their processing, their lower-level brain organization, and then it includes math as well. One thing that you want to realize is visual discrimination is something that children do from very early. You know those golden arches? They just know where those are and they know what that means, right? So they've discriminated that out of their environment to mean something 
specific. So if you take B and D, for instance, this is much more difficult than it is something like Superman and pizza. Would you say it's hard to discriminate? It's easy to tell that that's Superman and that's pizza if, you, if you're told that. So that's what we call high interest words. You can take words of the family, the dog, the things they like to eat, things like that, and teach them with that flash to discriminate something different. The other thing that you can use is we actually made a game, visual discrimination game, where they have 12 cards that are different. You can put out four, you can put out six, you can put out eight or all 12, and you hold up one card that matches, and there's 12 different cards that match, so you just keep playing until they have matched them all, but then they have to look at all of them to find out where that is. So they can do this with words that they don't even read, but they just discriminate between which one looks the same and start to build those skills for reading. In your handout, you should have this list of things that you can do for like three to five-year-olds. <laughs> do all the infant activities that you have done in the past or haven't done in the past. You do those for them if these areas aren't developed. Like if they're not feeling things, if they're just bumping into things all the time, they don't know where they are in space, so you do that deep pressure. If they're bothered by their clothes, you do that light touch with the tactile. Visually, you can do visual sequences. That's what I told you about. You can get the test kit and learn about that. The high interest words gives you some examples of that. They kind of like dramatizing that, you know, so if you say, Kinsey flies, and then she reads that, and then she does it. It makes it really fun. Then auditorily, you want to learn to play those games, either with words or with numbers, to be able to get their auditory up and their processing up. I really believe we're supposed to be, as Christians, raising leaders. And I can literally go into a classroom, test everybody's auditory processing, and walk out the door without knowing anything else and tell the teacher who the leaders are in that classroom. That's how incredible that it is. We just pick up information like radar when their processing is good. The mobility, crawling on their stomach, especially I'm going to show you Kinsey's crawl, because she skipped that stage. I mean, I'm talking, this is your grandmother. How can you possibly, you know, I'm a neurodevelopmentalist. How can you possibly skip that stage? So we had to go back when she was two and a half, three, and have her do that crawling on her stomach to get that back in because I know the importance of it. So even, you know, with your older ones that aren't uh, on the floor anymore, just play those games where they're crawling on their stomach, they're a worm, you know, or a puppy or horse or whatever to get all that good cross pattern in. Because that's what organizes the brain. It's really the foundation. Uh, the touch, the monkey bars, or uh, like picking up like I was uh, talking about with their fingers, that's so huge. It helps with convergence. When they're hanging from the bar and then they move to the monkey bars, they are looking at eye hand and, and really starting to converge those eyes. It helps them know where they are in space and obviously it's strengthening the hands as well. So monkey bars are huge, and of course they've taken those out of the playground because somebody might get hurt. I mean, we used to climb trees and do all that stuff, and now we have all this thumb wraps and things where people can't hold a pencil right. So this is what I'm talking about. Instead of sitting there going, hold your pencil right, hold your pencil right 50 times, 
They just do because those muscles are developed. So fine motor, you want to try to do as much as you can with the cortical opposition. And things like light bright, those little bitty nubs that go into the hole, beam transfer, which is several different kinds of beans, just dried beans, and then they sort them out, but only use this. So if they won't do that with just the index finger and thumb, you put a sock on their hand, and it's just got a hole for this. So this is all they have. That's kind of tricks them into that. Then coloring the stubs. Instead of those big fat crowns, get the little ones and break them into pieces. Those pieces that you usually throw away, you know, those are the ones you keep. Because if they're about three-fourths of an inch, the only way you can hold them is correctly with a tripod grip. That gets them doing things like that. So these are just some ideas of things that you can do early to help them. We do have a zero to four, the pivotal years, that goes over these kinds of things as well. I'm hoping that that's giving you some ideas and broadening your thoughts about what to do with your preschooler. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Please continue to stay tuned to the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network, where you will receive more Brain Coach tips to make life and learning easier. Next week, Little Giant Steps will sponsor the next episode, where I share how to create a more positive learning environment in your home. Until then, it's the Brain Coach signing off and reminding you that neurodevelopment is a dynamic approach to life at any age. So think differently. The solution is not in the problem. And remember, there is help at braincoachtips.com.